I see. Uh, we are we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, thank you for being here. It's a uh, 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 a great a great day. Uh, this passage today, I mean, just it's still. I'm just I don't know. I'm I'm kind of in a I'm kind of in a a haze of just thinking about what I'm teaching about today. Just to be honest with you. Um, now, uh, and before I get into that, uh, I'll just make mention, uh, you know, last week I, I was teaching uh, out of, uh, uh, well, the passage right before this where Judas uh, comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi or Rabbi, Rabbi, if you, were, if you were here last week, I talked about that double name thing. Well, I need to confess something. So I find out, and if you were here last week, you remember me saying I don't know why, you know, that, uh, you know, the modern translations don't have the rabbi, rabbi, because I found it in the Greek to be rabbi, rabbi, or whatever. Well, and I, my brain wasn't completely functioning, I guess, when I was studying through that and trying to figure that out, and I did spend quite a bit of time trying to figure that out. Uh, but uh, thanks to Ben in staff meeting this week, uh, he was able to help me figure that out, because after hearing me talk about it, he wanted to figure it out. And so he, he was sitting down, I think, during the message last week and, and figuring it out, and uh, long story short, if you go back to uh, Greek texts, uh, you, have, you have earlier Greek texts, and then you have of the, of the New Testament, and then you have, you have a little bit later Greek texts sometimes. And of course, you've got to remember it's back before printing press, and so people were hand-copying things and that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, with, with that being said, along the way, we have, we have things, and you'll see this in Scripture from time to time, where there'll be like a side note, maybe a footnote, and you read that, and it'll say, this, this doesn't appear in some texts, it does in others, whatever it is. Uh, and long story short, uh, the, uh, the rabbi-rabbi thing is something that appeared in later Greek texts. So likely speaking, Mark didn't have it that way. Someone added that in there, and you go, well, you know, why would people add stuff like that in there? And they, you know, to be honest with you, people did that along the way, thinking that they were helping to clarify things or bring more, uh, you know, umph to something or whatever it was. They thought they were trying to help. Uh, of course, you know, now we, you know, we we view this as, as God's word and uh, you know all these things, and and so there's there's a lot to that. But uh, anyway, I, I always want to tell folks anytime I've made a mistake, uh, you know, hey, I made a mistake. Last week, I guess I made a mistake. I don't think it really changes the message, although I, you know, I did, you know, like really like hone in on that double name thing. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I don't think there's anything that I said that wasn't necessarily true uh, or anything like that. So, uh, but I always want to be, you know, up front. And uh, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake, and I'll own it. So, uh, I made a mistake. So, I'm a failure as your pastor. Congratulations on going to the loser church. Uh, we also have a lot of college football fans of certain teams here too, so uh, it all it all works out. We're all failures together, right? Uh, so uh, no, uh, everybody's all excited about football t- football season. Oh, Ben's excited about football season. He was talking about this morning. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm still over here like, hey, the Mets are having a great season, uh, and uh, I'm still I'm still following baseball. Uh, and the Mets are having a great season, and you may go, well, how in the world do you become a Mets fan? It's like, well, if you grew up in the 80s with Doc and Daryl and all those guys, then I mean, you became a Mets fan. So, uh, you know, I, I, that's kind of kind of the thing. Uh, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's you know, it is what it is. And truth be known, I, my, most of my baseball uh, keeping up with baseball stuff, I've actually been more like uh, honing honed in on like certain players over time. I just like following different players of all different teams and stuff, and. Uh, just I love baseball history in general, so uh, but it is cool to kind of see something going on with them, um, and and that and that kind of leads me into uh, what we're talking about today, believe it or not, uh, because we're talking about we're talking about victory today, we're talking about winning today, um, and you know the, the whole idea uh, of you know winning, winning is fun, you know victory is sweet. Uh, you know, if if, uh, if if you ever were really good at doing something, you know, maybe you've got some trophies for it. Uh, this day and age, you don't even have to be good for something to get trophies, I don't think. But, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, if you had trophies, that meant, oh, man, you, you know, remember, you remember like going into your friend's bedroom and they had like, you know, they had all these trophies and you're like, whoa, you know, and it was like, especially like if you didn't know that that was like something they were into or maybe earlier in their life before you knew them or something and you go in there and you're like, whoa, What's with all the trophies? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I won those doing the blah, 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 you know. And you're like, wow, you must be really good at that, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny, you know, thinking back on that as a kid, like, that's a big deal. 
You know, I, I, I remember going to my friend's house that had like trophies, and I was like, I don't have any trophies. And then I remember, I remember finding like one of my dad's old, uh, actually one of my grandfather's old bowling trophies, and was like, and, and like begged, begged him, can I take it home so that I could have a trophy in my room? And so I did. And somewhere, I don't know where, probably my parents' house, some, I've still got this trophy belonging to my grandfather. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it, you know something, something that we all long for is victory. Uh, and so uh, today we're talking about that. And today we're talking about this passage that does come right after that passage where Judas betrays Jesus and, he, and turns him over uh, to, to these folks to come and to kill him and, and all, this, all this stuff. And this is all, all being set up as you know, part of the story of God. Of, you know, the, it's part of the plan. It's part of history. But it was part of history that was already predetermined. Like, I mean, God knew this was going to happen. You know? And, so, and, and there's, man, there's so much to that. Uh, but this morning, as we study this together, uh, one of the things that, that hits me uh, is, is we have Peter in that passage, of course, uh, just before that, talking about how you know, when Jesus says, you, get, you guys are all going to, you're going to take off. You're, you're not going to be there. You're going to, you know, you're going to deny me. Specifically with Peter, you're going to deny me three times, right? So he tells Peter this, and Peter and the other disciples are like, oh, no, no, Jesus, we will never do that. We got your back. You know, we're always there and all this kind of stuff. And so you're going into this passage today with that mindset that Peter is there, you know, where he's, you know, in this moment of, of you know he's he's just told he's just made this promise Jesus I'm never going to leave you forsake you I'm always going to be there forever and ever and all this kind of stuff and 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 Jesus is like well I'm telling you it's written it's written it's all, it's already it's already done <laughs> you know but you go ahead you know you you try try to fight it and so we even see Peter kind of hanging on in this passage like you know, when they take Jesus away at the end of the last passage, we read they all just disperse. They're all gone. All the disciples, they, they blow out of town. And, but really, truth be known, as, as they leave the situation, they're, some of them still kind of lingering, you know, to kind of see what's going on. And Peter is one of those. In fact, let's check it out. Mark chapter 14. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible or ushers have Bibles, they'll be glad to get you one. Uh, just raise your hand up and let them know that you need one. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to keep that one, consider it a gift, uh, and uh, you know all that good stuff. If you need to borrow it, that's fine too. Uh, but Mark chapter 14 uh, is where we're going uh, today. Uh, Mark chapter 14 and verse 53. Also, uh, another thing to kind of make note of is this is what we call in the book of Mark one of the Mark sandwiches. Not to try to get you to start thinking about lunch already, Okay. But Mark sandwiches, That's, that word sandwiches just kind of keeps resonating, doesn't it? You know, it's like so, suddenly, suddenly I'm in the mood for a sandwich, you know? Now, so throughout, throughout Mark's teaching, one of the things that we see Mark do is we see him like start something, then teach something else, and then come behind it with like the rest of what he started kind of thing. And that's exactly what he does here, and he does that with Peter uh, in Mark 14. So Mark 14, 53, it says this. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. So we've got, you know, they've got Jesus, they're leading him away and all this stuff, and, and then, you know, Peter's kind of like hanging back, you know, probably in the crowds and all that kind of stuff, um, trying not to be spotted, which is honestly, this is a gutsy move for Peter because, I mean, let's just, let's just remember what just happened. Like they just took Jesus, and when they tried to take Jesus, Peter did what? He lopped dude's ear off with a sword. And then, of course, Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter, it's all good, part of the plan here, everybody chill. And then Jesus, Jesus is like, oh, you're the God that's taking me away to be killed? Okay, cool, let me, heal, let me heal your ear first, because he's Jesus. And so that's going on. And so, you know, in this moment, Peter doing this, number one, to be, to be recognized as one of, Peter, as, uh, one of Jesus' guys, but secondly, he's the guy that cut that guy's ear off. So I'm pretty sure that some of these guys are going to be like, you know, they're going to recognize Peter. They're going to know who he is if he's seen. And so it says, verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, 
so gutsy, and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with these hands. And in three days, I will build another, not with hands. So, and then verse 59, and yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And so here you've got the situation. So they're, they're trying, they, they're, they've immediately started a trial. Like they get Jesus and immediately go to trial. It's nighttime. It's nighttime. Don't forget that, Okay. Like, remember, hard seeing in the dark, that's the only thing working for, in Peter's favor, by the way, I think, is that, you know, he's thinking he probably can, you know, maybe not be recognized because it's nighttime. And so, uh, part of why they needed G, uh, Judas to take them to Jesus, you know, so, so on so on, so forth. And so, you know, this whole situation, um, they, they start a trial, and by the way, this is like the biggest bogus trial in the world. In fact, according to their laws, according to their laws at the time, they're, they're breaking like so many rules about a trial and what it looks like for them to hold a trial, but especially a trial that might lead to someone's punishment by death. So first of all, they're not supposed to hold a trial at night. Secondly, they're not supposed to hold a trial during Passover, uh, on Passover, the day before Passover even that might have anything to do with a sentence that would lead to death. They are so gung-ho. They've got people ready to go to testify. Who here has, who's here has heard Jesus say, this Jesus say something bad, you know, come. And so these people are coming, and some of them have heard Jesus teach, and they've heard him talk about how he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, they're confused, they don't really understand what Jesus meant. They really are thinking that Jesus was talking about the actual building of the temple, you know, the bricks and mortar of the temple, that he was going to come tear the temple down, which, granted, if that had been what he was really talking about, then that would, like threatening to tear down the temple, would have been like this huge crime that would have deemed to be killed. The problem is, that's not what he's talking about. And the truth is, is that none of them had heard enough or understood enough of what Jesus has said that when they were testifying at this trial, that none of them could get their story straight enough together that it made sense that they could use it against Jesus. It says, verse 59, Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Verse 60, it says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? Jesus did not respond. He was not responding. It says, What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. He remained silent and made no answer. Now, this sounds like, you know, what's, what's going on with Jesus? Like, why, you know, why can't, why can't he, why isn't he saying anything? And you can look at this a couple different ways. I mean, you could say, well, Jesus is, uh, you know, he, he's not even going to answer to those things that are being said. They're so silly. You know, he's just like, he doesn't even care. He's just going to be silent. The truth is, along with everything else that Jesus is doing, because it all has purpose, is that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Jesus is fulfilling exactly what was said that he would do. What did, he, what did he say he was going to do? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 7. And it says this. It says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus isn't interested in trying to formulate some great uh, defense of his innocence. That's not what Jesus is there to do. 
In fact, not only is it not what Jesus is there to do, it's not what he does. In fact, it goes further here, and he actually incriminates himself instead of defending himself. Now, he's not going to go along with the lies, you know, so he's just silent when they're lying about, you know, oh, he's going to tear down the temple and all this kind of stuff. In verse 62, or verse uh, 61, it goes on and says, Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, and here he speaks, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, capital P, and coming with the clouds of heaven. So here you have... Jesus in a moment, when you and I, if we're there to defend ourselves and try to get out of something, you know, we're, we're not wanting to incriminate ourselves. Jesus absolutely, 100%, just in this moment, incriminates himself to the point that he knows that this will be the nail in the coffin for him. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. says, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And in verse 63 it says, And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? So he's basically he's like, first of all, he just starts losing his mind. He's tearing his clothes off. You know, it's like Hulkamania, only like not good. You know, and, and then in the midst of that, you know, he, he says, what further witnesses do we need? We don't even need anybody else to come. We didn't need anybody to begin with. We just needed to ask Jesus this one question, and he just answered it. He just incriminated himself. And you're like, well, what, how, how did he incriminate himself? He incriminated himself because he is now in front of them in court claiming to be not just the Messiah. Let, let's, let's talk about something here for just a second. You see, these people, these people were looking for a Messiah. They knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't really understand who the Messiah was. Like, they didn't understand that, the, you know, they were still looking for this Messiah that was like this political, you know, person, you know, like political savior, you know, kind of deal. A king that was going to come and like do king stuff, like earthly king stuff, like we're going to make everything right in the land. You know, all of God's people gets, you know... Uh, they, they get to go to the sounds game for free, you know, wh whatever it is, you know. I mean, just all, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, but Jesus is not that. And Jesus didn't come to be that. And so in this moment, he's not only laying claim to being the Messiah, but he's laying claim to being the Son of God. And God himself, the deity himself. He says, I am. And you will soon you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's what Jesus might as well have just said. Here's what Jesus might as well have just said. He might as well have just said, You are here judging me right now, but I will come to judge you. Now does it make sense why the high priest is like losing his mind. He's losing his mind because Jesus has just claimed authority over all of them. I mean, you've got to remember, they're all wound up about everything he did at the temple. Remember the turning over of the tables and the throwing the people out and get the chickens out of here and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is, this is, that's still fresh to these people. These people want to hang him high to dry. And, and, and they're looking, they're just looking for something. And here's Jesus on the stand, and they're like, Jesus, tell us, you know, what, are, you, are you this? And Jesus is like, I sure am. I sure am. I'm not just the Messiah. You don't understand what the Messiah is. I am the Son of God. I have come as God himself in human form. And I will come again with the clouds of heaven. Even that statement, Kent Hughes taught me this one. Uh, even that statement, the clouds of heaven, uh, you know, that we, we see that and we don't think much about it. We're like, okay, clouds of heaven, cool, you know, big, white, fluffy, puffy things in the air. Um, so they had an understanding 
they had an understanding from Scripture of that clouds of heaven were not just like clouds like you and I see clouds, okay? We see clouds in the sky, we're like, oh, there's the, there's the cumulus, and there's the, I don't even remember what the others are. And, uh, you know, that's always the one you remember, I don't know, because it's like a cucumber or something. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, but then, you know, when they hear Jesus say this, they're thinking about specifically what they know of as clouds of heaven, and the clouds of heaven that they know of are the literal Shekinah glory of God, and he's like, I'll, I'm, I'm coming in on that. I'll be back, and then I'm going to judge you guys. I mean, that's, you know, kind of in essence, he's saying, I'm God. I'm God, and I'm here, and yes, that's me, I am. And the truth is, is he could have just said, I am. He could have just said, I am. I mean, he didn't have to say, he didn't have to elaborate on all this other. But he knew what it would do. He says, I am. We, we would have just been like, oh, I am, there it is again. Biblical name of God, I am. You know, we tie it to Old Testament, I am. Oh, Jesus is using it, I am. Oh, how great is that? Instead, he's like, I am. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to drop the mic on you right now so that I'll make sure that you put me on the cross. I'll make sure that you want me dead by the time I get done with this statement because by the time I'm done with this statement, what you're going to understand is I see you judging me right now, but I'm coming to judge you. And they lose their minds. Again, verse 63, the high priest tore his dark garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. The guards received him with blows. I have been saying that statement to myself throughout this week over and over as I've been thinking about this passage and praying over this passage. The guards received him with blows. You know, I think, I think that sometimes we forget and I talked about this just a little bit last week, that Jesus still, although he's God, fully God, he's also fully man, and that this is not easy for him to do. It's easy to chalk it up to go, oh, well, he's, he's Jesus, he's God, so it's, you know, it's not really that big a deal for him to go suffer for us. No, I think that it is. And, I, and that's part of the point of it. Part of the point of it is that he would suffer, that he would, he would go through things that we would go through, that he would go through things worse than we would go through. And here in this moment, you've got this crazy messed up trial that's, according to their own legal system, is so far off the books of being like a legitimate trial. But they are so angered by what Jesus says here. They are so angered by it that they can't see anything but we've got to kill this guy. And, and so angry that we've got the tearing of clothes and um, the immediate spitting on him. I mean, I mean, just think about it. I mean, we hear that and we sound like, oh, that's, that's terrible. I mean, just think about that. Think about being in a crowd of people. I'm going to talk about it a little more in a couple of weeks. So I won't go too far into it, but let me just think about that. I mean, like, how, how crazy would that be to have that done to you? Like, just tons of people just spitting on you. And then immediately, like, I mean, just immediately, the second, I mean, the second that they have decided we're going to kill him, we're going to take him to death, that immediately, before, before we're even going to Pilate, before we're even getting the official sentence, immediately he's handed over to guards who receive him with blows. And he immediately begins to take a beating. 
a beating. And he walks into this willingly. Willingly. He knows, he knows that they're going to, he knows they're going to start beating him the second that they, that they take him into custody. He knows that that's going to happen. And he walks into it willingly. Their whole goal was to try to get him, well, try to get somebody else. They thought it was going to take somebody else's testimony against him to do him in, but to try to get him where they could take him to Pilate and they could say, and by the way, the, you, know, the, you, had, you had to go to the higher up authority to get an actual death sentence, okay? They couldn't do it. In fact, not only could they not do it, they weren't even supposed to have a trial the way they were, were in the sake of if you had a trial where you were doing uh, a death penalty type sentence, you couldn't, even, you couldn't even do that in a day or in a night. You weren't supposed to do it at night at all. Uh, but if you, if you did do it, you were supposed to come back the next day and reconvene just to make sure that this wasn't something that was happening out of some mob mentality and we've lost our minds in the moment and we're not seeing clearly to make sure that you don't kill somebody that wasn't supposed to be killed. So the whole goal here was we've got to to make Jesus look bad when we take him before Pilate. And this this is how that works. How that works is they wanted to paint the picture to Pilate that Jesus was this rebel king, this guy who wanted to take the king's job. Because, listen, if, 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 you, if you were the king or if you worked for the king, then you didn't want to hear about anybody that was talking about like coming in and doing a takeover. And see, they're still thinking. They can't wrap their minds around it. They're still thinking that Jesus has come to be this king like over their government, and they've got to do something about him before... You know, his, his, his crowd and his posse gets too big and, you know, can, you know, cause real problems. And so we got, you know, that's part of why this is happening at night too, is like we got to do this fast before, you know, things go back the other way. And they're going to take him to Pilate. We'll be talking about that next week. But here in this picture, we have them readying this moment of we've got to get him ready to take him to Pilate so that Pilate will say, kill him, crucify him. So Mark 14 continues, and we go back to our sandwiches. And in Mark 14, after they have begun to beat on Jesus, we go back to the story of Peter happening at the same time here. And it says this in verse 66. It says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. (coughs) And And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were the Nazarene Jesus, were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. So here we have Peter denying that he knows Jesus or knows anything about him when he's recognized as being one of Jesus' guys. goes on and says, And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And so he's, you know, he denies Jesus and that he knows Jesus, and then he's like, i got to get away before somebody else recognizes me. I'm going to go over here a little further away but he still wants to see what's going on. He's still, you know, he's still, he's still trying to fight off like, I'm not going to abandon my guy here, you know, kind of thing. And then it goes on, uh, and it says in verse 69, And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it, and And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. And verse 71, it says, but he began to invoke a curse on himself 
and to swear and says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is, this is an interesting thing, and I, I think it's especially interesting. We, we get this account of Peter, and again, if we're remembering that Mark most likely was writing this gospel as kind of Peter's gospel, and Mark's the writer, you know, kind of like, you know, he's the, he's the ghost writer, so to speak. Um, but we know it, of course, is the gospel of Mark, because Mark's the one that penned it. Um, we're, we're hearing, if, if that's true, then we're hearing you know, these first-hand accounts out of maybe Peter's mouth of what happened. And if that's true, then we have Peter here sharing, probably not just with us, but people that he was preaching to and sharing with. We have Peter outing himself in his own failure. Think about that for just a minute. I mean, that's not like something that we like to do, is it? I mean, we don't, we don't like to out our own failures. We like to, we like to focus on I like to focus on the good stuff, right? You know, well, how's how's that job going? Oh, well, you know, it's it's going really good. You know, we we don't we don't open with uh, you know, well, uh, it's okay. I, I lost a, I lost a company about a hundred grand last year, or whatever. You know, we we don't we don't we don't open with that. We're like, you know, well, you know, it's going. We've had a few ups and downs, but man, I tell you what, this year this quarter's looking good, looking good. Made some good sales, you know, and uh, I mean, you know. Peter, Mark, are telling like the worst of the worst on himself. The worst of the worst. And here you've got this contrast. And and this is the sandwich. And this is the reason Mark wrote it this way, is Mark wants us to see it this way. Because I'll be honest, I really, really started to teach this, the, the, First passage, the first part of this passage as a week, and then this other passage where it's more about Peter and the denial and all that kind of stuff as another week. But the truth is, is the way that Mark wrote this is like he wants us to see it together in the sandwich, okay? And the reason that he wants us to see it that way is because he wants us to see the contrast. We've got Peter running for his life, asking if he even knows Jesus, denying it, literally, from what I can tell in the text, like in the last moment, the last time that Peter is asked, like he's literally probably cussing, like he's, he's so like wanting to like distance himself from him, from Jesus in that moment as to save his own life, that he's literally using language that probably would not have been language that he would have used with Jesus as to try to make himself look different than one of Jesus' folks. And in this moment, what we've got is we've got this contrast of, of Peter doing that and the denial, and then we've got the, the opposite of that, which is Jesus with the acceptance of what's going on. So Peter's running away. Peter's trying to run away from this. And, Pete, and Jesus, on the other hand, is walking straight into the fire. Jesus, in his moment, when he asks, gets asked a question that he knows is going to get him killed, he's like, I am. I am, and by the way, all this other stuff, I'm going to drop it all on you right now, and I know you're not thinking about the Messiah also being a deity, uh, but I am. I am, and you're judging me, and I'm going to be your judge one day. I am that guy. That's what's going on right here. And you got Peter... Likes the opposite, and and then on, so then on top of all that, you know, Peter reacts out of fear, and he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. So he's trying to save his life. Jesus is boldly fulfilling prophecies with his words and actions and saying, "I am." And at the end of it all, what you've got is you've got like this flipped thing on its head. Because what are they charging Jesus for? They're charging Jesus for blasphemy. They're charging Jesus for being a liar, which he's not, and yet just 
just over here in the courtyard is Peter, who is actually a liar. And Jesus is getting the punishment in which Peter deserves. Jesus is getting the punishment in which Peter deserves. And I think for us, as, you know, as just people who are used to watching movies or reading a book or whatever it is, and we make people out to be characters instead of like actual real life, like this is history and it happened, which it did, uh, you know, I, th- I think for us, <clears throat> a lot of times we're not careful in situations like this. We, we hear this story and we go, man, that Peter, that Peter, man, what a knucklehead that guy is. Like he, he certainly... He certainly can't seem to get it together, can he? The truth is, is that Peter's just like us. He's just like us. He's a sinner that God wants to make a saint. And and at the end of the day, the truth is, is even when we've been made saints, at least here on earth, we're, st- we're still caught up in sin at time to time, from time to time. We're not slaves to it any longer, although we don't always see that. But the truth is, is that for us, we're no different. We're no different than Peter. I, I, got, I, got, I got to wonder if when Jesus in Mark 8 says this, if he wasn't like, <clears throat> if this wasn't like a little bit of like, Peter will read this one day and he'll be like, oh man, Jesus meant me. Kind of thing. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Obviously, that's, that's tough as it is, right? Take up his cross and follow me. Yeah, we, we know that and we're like, man, I, I'm wrestling with that. Like, I, that's enough for me to wrestle with. Well, it keeps going. Verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And I'm just like, wow. That's what Peter's doing in that moment. That's what Peter's doing in that moment. <clears throat> and it's easy for us to look at Peter and go, man, you're a failure. Way to go, Peter. Way to be a failure. You know, again, we've got to remember this is part of the plan. God ordained that this was going to happen. So there's that whole piece of this. You know, I mean, Jesus, how do we know that? Because Jesus said so. He said, it is written. This is what's going to happen. Peter, this, you're going to do it. I'm just telling you. You know, he's like, Peter, I'm not hating on you. I'm just telling you, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go down. And I think for the same, you know, for us, you know, I think also for us, it's easy for us to look back on our failures and to let our failures dictate the things of our lives. Think about that for a minute. I think for us, if I said, think about some of your failures in life, which nobody nobody really wants to think about those things, right? You know, but if I just said, hey, think about some of the failures in life. You know, the truth about our failures is that oftentimes those things, those things because they happened, create doubt and fear in us, and unfortunately, we allow those things to keep us from moving forward. We allow those things that have happened or the fear of, the fear of failure happening, we allow those things to keep us from moving forward in a direction maybe in which God wants us to go for His kingdom, <clears throat> but we cut ourselves off. Like, no, I can't do that. I got burned in a church one time, Chris. I can't, I can't do that. I got burned one time. Can't do, can't do this because, I, you know, this or that, you know. I mean, we, we, pick, up, pick your own flavor. I mean, you know, you, we, we all know what we're talking about here. And the truth is, is that Peter did this too. But Jesus forgives him. Thanks to the book of John, we get to have this conversation further about Peter, and I felt like it was appropriate to go ahead and talk about it right now, because Peter's just denied Jesus three times. Well, if you go to the book of John, and you see when Jesus comes back from after he has resurrected from the dead, and he meets up with the disciples, 
he kind of has a one-on-one with Peter. Have you seen that? You should go read it. Oh, it's so good. And he comes to Peter. And just imagine being Peter in that moment. Imagine being Peter in that moment where you're seeing Jesus for the first time after he's come back to life, and you know, you know that Jesus knows everything you did. You know that he knows about your failures. You know that he knows that you denied. I mean, he, he said it was going to happen. Now you're going to deny me three times. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. And then you, then you see Jesus again. It's like, oh, he knows I'm a failure. And in the world that you and I live in, that means... You know, well, then you don't get to do more, or you don't, you know, you don't get a second chance. But that's not Jesus' world. And the conversation that Jesus has with Peter goes something like this. This is the abbreviated Chris version. Is, hey, Peter, what's up, man? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He's like, hey, Peter, tell me something. Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. Yes, I do love you. Hey, Peter. Hey, I got a question for you. Peter's like, okay. So far we've had two of the same question. Maybe this one's different. He's like, Peter, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? (laughs) And And finally, he's like frustrated. It's almost kind of like he was frustrated the third time he gets asked if he was with Jesus. He gets frustrated, and he's like, Jesus, you you know that I love you. You know that I do. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's how Jesus answered Peter every time he said, yes, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Was Jesus getting into the cattle business? No. Jesus is saying, go and love people in my name. Go and, go and, go and minister to people in my name that they might know me because they know you. Feed my sheep. And in that, we see three times Jesus asked Peter the same question, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you, then feed my sheep. Three times. And Jesus is making a statement. He's saying, Peter, don't hang your hat on your failures. You move forward with who I've called you to be. I am reinstating you into the ministry. You are forgiven. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. And, and, oh, and by the way, when he gets done on the last question, the do you love me, then feed my sheep, then Jesus goes on to tell Peter, Peter, by the way, I have a plan for you. I'm going to build my church on you. I, the cornerstone of the church, is saying to you, I'm going to make you my rock, and I'm going to use you to build my church. And I'm sure Peter's like in the moment like, what, Jesus? Do you need me to go get like one of the other disciples or something? Like, I think you got the wrong guy because I'm Peter with a capital F denied you three times just like you said I would. And he's like, no. No, Peter, you're not. You're not the Peter capital F for failure three times. Peter, you're capital F with a forgiveness that you can go and you understand what it looks like to go and share that forgiveness with the world. Now, you see, you see, Jesus needed, he wanted him to go through that, that moment of failure to deny Jesus three times. He wanted him to go through that. We wouldn't have the church as the church is today built on a guy that had it all together and did it all right all the time. Do you get that? I made a mistake in a message last week. And it's going to happen because I'm a human. Even if I don't mean for it, it's going to happen. We're going to fail each other. As the church, as the body of believers, we're going to fail each other at times. But you know what? We have the ability to forgive one another and continue on loving one another. Because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. 
And it's about the fact that God's still looking at us and saying, hey, oh, you failed me a couple times. Well, guess what? I still got a plan for you. I still want to use you for my glory. Will you go? Will you be my guy? Will you be my gal? Will you let me use you in the lives of the people that I have put you in? Three times denied and three times forgiven. God wants us to move forward like Peter. He doesn't want us to get caught up in our failures. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Man, I have, I have done that. And it's so, it's so crazy. Like you can look back on your life and see where you've done that and fallen into such, maybe even such bad moments of life over, over mistakes that you made or something that you missed or whatever it is. And you know what? God's here just saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I love you. You're my church. You're my bride. That statement, the church is the bride of Jesus, is so real to us today. And, it, and it, we, we have to cling to that, folks. we got to cling to that. We want to protect our church. We want to, we want to protect the, Christ's church. we got to cling to that statement. Because if, if we make it about the church with the people, we'll be like, oh, well, you know, those people, I mean, they, they failed me plenty of times, and they, that person let me down, and that person let me down, and that person made me mad. And, and, and you know, we got, you know, everybody got a little church baggage. We could sit around the table and eat pizza and tell all kinds of church baggage stories today. And, oh, yeah, I went to this church one time, and they were crazy, and they did this, and this happened, or whatever the thing. And, and here's, here's the truth of it. It is the bride of Jesus. And, it, and, and listen, if you're a man here today who genuinely loves, and I hope you do, genuinely loves a bride, you have a wife and you love her, like Ephesians 5 says you should love her, then you would be willing to die for her. And Jesus did that for us. He died for us not because we were perfect, not because we got some good programs going on, because he loves us cares for us, and he's got a plan for us, that on the other side of failure, there is victory. On the other side of failure, there is victory. He wants us to move forward like Peter. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to love the sheep. And in doing so, we will glorify Him. And it's not hard to do when we remember what Christ has done for us. And before we point our finger too much at Peter, and we say, well, Peter was a failure, I think we can all say, we've all made our mistakes. And yes, Peter was a failure, but guess what? Jesus is a victor. And he is Peter's victor as he is ours. Our victory isn't in our accomplishments. It's not in our works. Our victory is in the work of Jesus Christ. You realize that that changes everything. You realize that you realize that it no longer allows us to put our identity into job descriptions and in titles, even in relationships or accomplishments and goals or money in the bank or whatever it is. Our identity can't be in those things because all of those things will fail us like a college football team or NFL. God wants to take us broken, mangled up, not knowing enough, not good enough feeling. And He wants to use us for His glory <clears throat> to show His victory in this world. Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, I challenge you today 
that if God is, is speaking to your heart today, listen to him. Hear what he's saying. Hear that he loves you just like you are right now. He doesn't want you to try to get yourself together and come to him. He wants you to run to him now and he wants to take you and he wants to mold you and make you into the person that he wants you to be, that he created you to be, and that he has a plan for you. That ought to be some of the best news that you'll ever hear, the best news that you'll ever hear in your life outside of the fact that he has done for you what we couldn't do for ourselves, what he's done for me, which is take our place, take the punishment that we deserve, that we might have victory. We might have victory over sin, over death, because what Jesus did, not because what we can do, because we can't do it. Our victory isn't in things that we can do. Our victory is in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are amazed at you. We are amazed at your word. We are amazed at what you've done through your son. God, I pray, I pray that you would find us faithful in fulfilling the call of our lives to be the people that you would have us to be, Lord, that you want to use us to be. God, use us in this world. Lead others to you through us. May others see that our victory is in you and not in ourselves. God, have your way with us. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Lord, speak to the hearts of those that haven't trusted in you. Today, Lord, bring them to be a part of this family, your family. May they believe in you. God, help us with our unbelief. Use us for your glory. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.